This is a global original podcast. Hi and welcome to Confessions of a Modern Parent. The podcast where my husband Mark and I discuss the challenges, difficulties, frustrations and ultimately the joys of being parents and step-parents to four wonderful, talented, beautiful daughters aged between 25 and 12. Here we go. Well, this is... This is a biggie. This is a biggie. And what I would like to say to you is we we both talk very passionately about this. Mm. But hang on if you're a young person, because we have a 17-year-old girl and a 16-year-old boy giving us their opinion on split. Can I give you also another little kind of warning at the start here? I am incredibly impassioned in this conversation, but really stay to the end to understand what it is I'm saying. Because some things in life can have two what seem like mutually contradictory concepts to them. And I'm about, I I will be saying something in this about cannabis that seems like, oh, he thinks this one way, oh, but he's saying that the other. We need to do more of that in life. Yeah, the two (laughs) can sit alongside each other very comfortably. So stay to the end before you make any judgments on what I'm actually saying. And also, if there's a young person just clicking on here for the first time, we have got, as I say, three young voices, actually, that are very powerful in this. And Mark and I are very, very much coming from a place of knowing that so many many of you are suffering with overwhelming anxiety and depression and fear and paranoia and peer pressure so stick with the conversation try and listen to the very end we are ultimately on your side and we understand how difficult it is at the moment to be a young person and we're coming from a place of experience and passion and care and concern Mm. not from a place of don't, uh, telling yeah, you off and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Stick with it because actually we really, really want to give you, we want to hold your hand a bit. Here we go. It's a big one today. It's a massive discussion, this. A huge massive. discussion. I actually can't believe that we haven't already had this discussion. Uh, well, I think we've talked about alcohol. We've talked about, um, we've talked about addiction, but we've not specifically gone in or honed in or, or targeted cannabis or spliff or skunk or whatever mm. whatever else you want to call it. Um, but uh, it, it, for me, I think in many ways, the current generation of youngsters, I think we have a more prevalent problem and use of cannabis in all its many different guises, skunk, whatever you want to call it, spliff. I think we have more of a problem than alcohol. With young people. With young people. Mm. And I think that, you know, whereas alcohol is the preserve of of all ages, but of course there's those those obvious barriers to access, such as age, uh, illegality of purchasing at a certain age, even smoking is illegal to buy cigarettes at a certain point. But for some reason, you know, skunk, spliff, resin, whatever you want to call it, it, you know, hash, uh, you know, this is something that in my day when I was a kid, it was quite a sort of, um, I mean, although it was, it was around and it was prevalent, it was, the, it, the, you noticed when someone had it, it was a thing, it was a big noticeable thing. Whereas today it seems like it's a given that everyone's got it or everyone's using it or everyone has it or that it's going to be at a party. Whereas for me, I do remember the days of when I'd go to a party or something and I, I smoked spliff when I was a teenager and young adult Um I do remember, you know, there being a sort of little thrill of excitement. Oh, right, someone's got some spliff. It, was, it wasn't as prevalent. It wasn't as sort of uh, ubiquitous. It wasn't mm. everywhere. It just wasn't, mm. you know, for example, you certainly didn't, when I was a kid, walk the streets and, and this is no exaggeration, listener, 
smell it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, smell it everywhere. Smell it in your garden, you smell it. I mean, you you, you know, you live in close proximity to anyone. It's pump, And we're not just talking a light smell. We're talking about something that's so rich and so deep and so heady that it almost gets you high yourself and mm. smells remarkably like my armpits after lots of workouts. Mm. Yeah. What are your um, memories well, of it? Well, when I was growing up, it wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't around at all. Mm. I j- just wasn't around. Oh, right. I, I, I was surrounded in it in my late 20s and 30s, um, but definitely, no. It, it, it wasn't around me at school. It wasn't around me at parties. It was all drink, drink, drink. Right. And, um, and you know, as you know, I was, and as the regular listener knows, I was a very heavy drinker and I was a heavy partier and all I have is regret for everything I've done to my body and I am, I spent the last almost 18 years trying to remedy everything that I did before those years. Right. Um, ever since I became a mum, all I've wanted to do is stay healthy and stay so, alive for longer. But before that, um, yeah, I, I, it, it just wasn't around. Oh, right, because okay. I was talking about how prevalent it was in my teen years. It, yeah. For me, it has been around since the day dot, which is why I was No, surprised. definitely me late 20s and on, early oh, right. 30s. But before that, no, it just it just wasn't around. Even it was all Chinzano of, and vodka. Oh, was it? Not, I was going to say, not, not even, even in the vodka. sort of showbusy, act, you know, actor's world of parties that's no. supposed to have been passed around. No, like, oh, right, no funny, genuinely, genuinely not. It was fags, it was loads of booze. Right. I'm sure there were all sorts of other things going on. But no, it wasn't just as ubiquitous as it is now and as our, you know, and as... as any teenager will tell you it's everywhere and as you said you can yeah. just walk down the street and you're going to smell it and just having a look around today and having a bit of a read and and looking at all different sorts different you know websites and people talking about it and and listening to what teenagers say about actually it's so easy to get it's easier yeah. to get than a packet of fags it's easier to get than a than a than a drink because they don't need ID, so... Yeah, well, I mean, I think I gave a bit of a bum steer there. I was talking about it very much from the position of a teenager and then as a potential active user of it. That's when it was... I mean, sadly for me, I mean, my first ever memory of of Spliff was as probably about six or seven, and I was acutely aware of the fact of, A, the smell, and B, in our flat, and B, the fact that I always got really excited about the limited uh, snacks that were in the bread bins that mm-hmm. were in a cupboard. Uh, most especially, I was very excited about the Mr. Kipling jam tarts. And as I say, I've, I've, I've sort of told this story a few times to, to friends and family. But uh, I used to always go in there, and whenever jam tarts, Mr. Kipling jam tarts had been bought, I would, I'd always get very excited, and I'd always sort of plan whatever play night I was doing in my room with myself. I'd think, oh, yeah, I'll go down there, I'll craftily nick them. And whenever I went to get them, they'd always gone. Always. And so a connection was always there from a young age between this funny smell, lots of giggling, and lots of snacks disappearing. And if you think about it, those that are some... fun. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And if you think about that side of it, that's the side... That was my introduction to cannabis. That was my understanding of it. And so when it started to crop up when I was at college and things like that, as it does for most people, I mean, even Obama and Clinton, you know, everyone at some point has come across it as a teenager, pretty much. Um... In a weird way, it was, okay, a more extreme version of that because perhaps we, I smoked it rather than being in a flat with it and I had more of it than, you know, I would have done it, you know. But there was still a sort of quite a benign element to it. It was always like, let's do it and have a giggle. And we'd always have a giggle. 
It what are you talking about when you took when, when I then later went took at it. uni? Yeah, so the, what I'm trying to say is that that hardwiring in at a very sort of as an infant, as a as a toddler almost, of this idea that spliff, laughter, hunger, funny, funny, that's funny. Mm. You know, mm. it, it's harmless. That harmless sort of thought carried all the way through to college where everyone mm. was getting, you know, to get stoned. But not everyone was, it's not like we sat in houses of everyone absolutely baked. Mm. There was the, there were the groups that were totally baked and there was no conversation to be had with them. Their eyes looked bloodshot. They looked really, really out of it. They looked really stupid. And it was fine to have a giggle. But I, if I didn't have a giggle, I then got paranoid and then I just didn't really want to do it. Mm. I was just like, oh, now I feel sick. And my worst experience as a teenager taking it, bless, was uh, with a friend of mine, Chris, who was incidentally the son of a vicar. And I had some spliff and I vomited all over what I realised was an antique collection of teddy bears and destroyed them. Oh, no. And ran out that night. So, you know, but again, that added to the sort of Hall of Fame and infamy, infamy, Mm. if you like, that cannabis is, oh, silly things happen. Well, I mean, what you're describing is exactly the same as alcohol. Yeah, in a way, in a way. You know, we'd all be, I mean, I can, you know, I've laughed for years about how I puked up red wine all over my friend's mum's white sofa because I was so drunk I didn't even know whether I was coming and going locked yeah. stuff in the bathroom somebody had to climb up and climb in through a window to get me you know all that stuff that you think's hilarious yeah, when yeah. you're younger um, but actually it's sowing the seeds of not always not yeah. always but it can sow the seeds of terrible problems to come down the line um, yes. It's those first experiences of anything. Yeah. So I think the reason I'm sort of wanting to take a bit of time stepping around this idea of, oh, isn't it fun? Oh, isn't it light? Is, oh, aren't the side effects of it quite funny? Oh, I've got the, uh, what is it? I've got the munchies. Oh, oh, he's got the There were giggles. very different times what you were smoking. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one of the key points to make. And also, um, you know, the munchies, but also you would, everyone from an early, as many years back would talk about, oh, I feel a bit paranoid. Are you laughing at me? You know, and so... At a low level, you've got all those things which in and of themselves can make for quite an entertaining evening. And I think that's where I think there's a huge confusion and a huge error of judgment that's crept in. Because I'm talking about 35, 40 years ago. My first negative experience of any type of spliff, resin, hash, whatever you want to call it, was my mum being delivered drugs through the letterbox of our flat and my dog eating the entire stash. And daily passed out for nearly about four or five days. And the reason that stuck with me was I was, daily was my world. She was my dog. In fact, there's a photo of me with her just over there. And I was grief stricken. She was on the bottom bunk of the of the bed, and I remember thinking at the time, "What is this?" And a miracle was a, she lived. It was a miracle she lived, but also there was a lot of hilarity amongst the adults. They thought it was kind of funny and amusing. Oh, no. And I remember thinking, "This is this, what's happened to this dog? What's happened?" So, in a weird way, I saw my dog OD on spliff, <laughs> and that told me that this isn't just a benevolent thing mm. at some point. You know, I mean, obviously I wasn't going to go and eat it when I was older. But I remember thinking, oh, right, okay, so this isn't just something that makes people eat jam tarts. This is also something that can really have a profound effect on a living thing. It just happened to be my Labrador cross dog. Um, and so, and so, yeah, that was then. But, you know, we are talking 35 to 40 years. And I think, you know, if we, if we start to look at what Spliff is today, it's unrecognisable compared to what it is. And that's not just us saying it. I remember one of the um, drug counsellors when you were in the Priory saying to me that one um, skunk spliff is equivalent... I can't remember now what it was. Was it something like 20 weed spliffs in the 70s because of this 
And yeah. it, the way that it's grown and it has this massive increase in the THC, yeah. doesn't it? And so you're dealing with a very, very different kind of drug yeah, now than yeah. the one in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that's the part of it all that I get really worried about because I think a huge component that we're going to discover in this conversation is, is attitudes of parents are a huge part, as they are with alcohol, are a huge part of how teenagers and youngsters negotiate cannabis. I think there's an accepted norm that most people of our generation at some point when they were young have smoked it or dabbled in it or known someone who smoked in it and I think our kids see that as a sort of very benign green light to kind of like yeah all right I can dabble and I can have fun I'm gonna just come out boldly with what my opinion on 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 spliff is today I think cannabis and spliff today is and I'm a recovering alcoholic I think it's more of a pernicious problem than even alcohol so what do you say to people that will so what do you say to people that will immediately say Listen, I have a spliff. I don't go beating up people in the pub and, 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 you know, all the chaos that comes with alcohol. What would you say to those people? Well, I'd say just wait, because the thing about cannabis spliff and the psychosis and the potential damage that spliff of the strength and potency that there is today, you're not going to do anything on it tonight. You're not going to do anything on it for the next two or three years. You're just going to bake in it. You're going to bake out. You're going to be baked. Uh, the problems are going to come at a point in your life where you're probably even hard pushed to connect what you're doing to what you've done. Mm. You know, one of the few saving graces, and there aren't many, if any, of alcoholism, is that it takes you to a place of acute problems and behaviour and destruction and, and self-destruction. And much you could, quicker. Much quicker. And, and much you, more obviously. Much more obviously and much more obviously identifiably mm. to connected to the alcohol you've consumed. Yeah. The problem with spliff is not what the spliff's going to do to you today. It's not the problem. It's a little bit like you can get absolutely plastered at the weekend with drink and come out of it and still function quite normally. So you can have acute problems from alcohol. So you can drink too much. You can regret what you said. You can do stupid things. But, you know, alcoholism is is the cumulative effect of it over years and, and how you can end up in a place where you've lost your wife, you've lost your home, you've lost your partner, you've lost money, everything. It's the same with spliff, but I think because spliff's short-term effect on you is quite benevolent, it shuts you down, it closes you down, it slows you down. You don't get, you know, it's it's become societally associated with he's a he's a gentle hippie, he's a bit stoned, he's a bit this, he's a bit that. I'm talking about the problems that this will create 10, 15, 20 years down the line. And the biggest problem with this drug which is the same in a weird way with alcohol, which is if you're going to indulge in anything and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, yes, you could argue always all these things are rites of passages and there's no amount of as a parent saying don't do it, you mustn't do it, is going to stop your kids from doing it. But if you can just do it, if you're going to, if you're going to do it, try and do it and you're going to do it a lot or a lot more than maybe, you know, people would like you to, try and do all of these things way beyond being a teenager because... In your teenage years, as a teenager, the teenage brain and the teenage body is the point at which all the mm. damage is done. There is no, I mean, if you look at the massive increase in childhood anxiety, teen anxiety totally. and mental health issues, I mean, the list is as long as your yeah. arm for people waiting to be seen by CAMS. Yeah. And and you look cams. at the CAMS, that's the um, counselling, oh, right. counselling. Um, and you look at, the increase in spliff use, there's a direct correlation there, you know, and too many people don't realise that that anxiety that they're feeling, that they 
use the spliff to help them ease that anxiety. The anxiety actually came from the spliff in the first place and that so many yeah. young people are just caught in that terrible yeah. cycle. But the thing um, that, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of going to get, go even further into this. I get crosser about people saying cannabis doesn't hurt you and cannabis is there. Oh, it's better than alcohol. Oh, you're, so, you know, I'm, an, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I know only too well the damaging and appalling effects that alcohol can have on you mm -hmm. and those around you. And, and mind you, and we feel exactly the same about the teenage brain and alcohol. Totally. That's it's what exactly I was just saying a minute ago. Absolutely. Yeah. That, you know, you shouldn't drink and, you know, any overindulgence at these critically formative years, it, it's not that it will always do damage, but it's a lottery. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute lottery. And from My you, cousin's friend smoked half a spliff and ended up in a unit in sections. Yeah. It is it is a lottery. You don't know whose no, brain is going to crack. I know too. I know so many tragic yeah. tragic stories that I can't tell due to their privacy of what exactly has happened from spliff. It, yeah. it can be an extraordinarily dangerous drug yeah, and, that, no. and people underestimate that. They say, well, I'm not shooting up heroin. I'm not snorting cocaine. I'm not taking a speedball. I'm not getting drunk and getting thrown out of the pub, but I'm smoking spliff all day long. I'm smoking skunk. Yeah, but it's always it's like, seen, it's why, is safe that? why is that? Why is it always seen? And I think it has to be. Because I think people stay in, they stay quiet, Precisely. they listen to music, they giggle, they yeah. fall asleep, they eat. But also, I'm not talking about wider society and whether it has an impact on the wider society. Of course, if you're not out in the streets drunk, throwing bottles, having fights for society, that is. But I'm thinking about just you. Yeah. And I'm thinking about your brain. And I'm thinking about your depression, listener who's listening, young person who might be listening. And I'm thinking about the anxiety that you're overwhelmed with. I'm talking about the paranoia that you may be overwhelmed with. Now, I'm also we're very aware that plenty of people that might be listening to this might be still smoking and really, really enjoying it. Yeah. And we understand that. It's no good just saying to young people, and now we're going back to confessions of a modern parents. No point saying to young people, it's all doom and gloom. You will end up, mm. you will end up in a mental institution. You will end up thrown in cells. You will, because what you have to acknowledge is that you may see many of your peer group having a great time. Mm. You may have a great time, but as you say, Mark, very right. And it's this is why it's so hard when you're parenting children is that. You, to try and get them to see beyond this minute yeah. is so, so, so difficult. So difficult. To say to them, yes, you might be enjoying it now, but a year down the line, you might have such serious depression and anxiety and you won't even know, as yeah. you said, you won't even know where it's come from. Yeah. I mean, and the evidence is there. Yeah. This is this is the thing. I mean, people often use, you know, one of the most compelling arguments that's often used around cannabis and versus alcohol, and it's the constant debate, is, you know, alcohol is legal and cannabis is illegal. And there is a great injustice here. And it's a, it's a lunacy when you unpack that. Now... But alcohol uh, wouldn't be legal if it came out now. It precisely would not be legal. what I was about to say. It precisely what I was about to the say. the most dangerous poison called ethanol. Yeah. So... It's just the for mess me, up of the world. Yeah, for me, legality and illegality is almost irrelevant when we're just talking about the objective substance and its impact on all of us. Just because some statute somewhere decides there's taxes to be had and it made sense back when whoever stood on one leg and they were shipping it off, but it doesn't matter, doesn't matter. You know, we don't care about any of that. Tobacco, about tobacco is entirely legal. It's also entirely responsible for huge, huge, huge numbers of people of cancers, you know, as is alcohol. So I'm not interested yeah. in that side of it, but it's often the most compelling, oh, well, you know, but if it was, you know, it should be legalised, legalised or illegalised. Weirdly, 
I'm probably of the opinion that cannabis is so much more damaging than anyone who smokes it ever wants anyone to think. Because, of course, what is the purpose of any kind of addiction? Folded into addiction, part of the definition of what suffering from an addiction is, is denial that you're an addict. That is built in. That's hardwired into the disease. I've had to crack that one, both in terms of my relationship with drugs and alcohol, but in relationship to so many things. The the very nature of an an addiction is that the addiction is telling your brain you're not addicted. Yeah, that is meaning. It's a a critical contradiction that you have to get your head around. Now, the hard part of all of that is how can you ever get the sort of purchase and objectivity and the vantage point on yourself to look at yourself and go, that's what's happening to me. And that's where it falls horrendously difficult in, in a difficult way for parents. Because, you know, you just said then you did a very imploring and impassioned plea to the person listening and we're caring about you. We are caring about you. But also, even if the damage is only theoretically being done to you, no damage is done to any addict in isolation. Yeah. Ever. Ever. And if I could, I mean, I'm not going to be able to read out most of the comments that we've had when we posted about this. But the vast Mm. majority of the comments are, I'm so worried about my team. I Mm. don't know how to stop them. I don't Mm. know what to say. Everyone is doing it. This everyone is doing it concept. I mean, what? Everyone's throwing themselves off a cliff? I mean, you know, oh, let's do it. Now, I'm saying that as someone who everyone was smoking, everyone was drinking. It, 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 it is as a parent. It's it's like a tsunami yeah. trying to hold it back. That's what it feels like sometimes. And, you know, we've been having an ongoing conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard as a parent uh, to know what to say. But I think the really important thing is not to decide to not say anything. Yeah. Because it's difficult, it's really easy to go, okay, well, I'll just put that on the back burner, just put that on the back burner. And I think as much as you can to have an open conversation about it. And of course, we're very lucky with you because you've always spoken so openly to the girls and the girls have seen what has happened um, as a result. One of the things I would say don't do, and I feel so strongly about this, it makes me angry, is do not as a parent sit down with your children and smoke spliff thinking it's a good thing. Sorry. I don't care what anyone says. That is not the way to even educate your children. That is not the way to get inclusivity with your kids. I cannot stand it when I hear, oh, yeah, so cool. Such and such parents smoke such and such with them. What? A total, total dereliction of so duty. So what would you because, say to the kids? What, so what no, would you say? Hang on. Why. Let, but, let but, me explain why. Because the, the no, parent... What's the difference with that and alcohol? There's no difference. I feel as strongly about that. But you know what? I I pulled my punches when we talked about that because I was worried I'd offend too many people. I don't think you should be encouraging your children to drink, you know, excessively with you. The thing about alcohol, the, the one difference that there is between alcohol and there is between spliff, which is a crucial difference. Forget the fact that, I, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I keep saying it. I know the damage alcohol can do. On the bottle, you know what's in the bottle. As a parent, on the bottle, you know what's in the bottle. You don't know how this is going to configure with their emotional and mental and, and, and medical makeup and whether this is going to trigger an addiction in like later life. That's always a lottery that you're de- dicing with death with. But you can say one bottle of cider and you can say you've taken in 4% strength alcohol. With spliff, you are not across what's in it. And this is where there's a contradiction in my stance, it would seem. On the one hand, it's every bit as bad and should be every bit as cautioned against, but it should be every bit as legal as alcohol is, so that we can monitor 
what's in it. Because I think that's the problem. I think the problem is, is the unknowability. And I think the problem with parents sitting there, oh, let's have a split with Johnny, let's have a split with whoever and sit there and do it, is the parent is Dan is stepping back to a time a halcyon past that no longer exists, where the, the spliff was twenty times less potent, was twenty times less severe. And what you're doing is you are basically gatewaying your child into an entirely different drug scene. It's entirely different. There is no comparison to smoking a spliff now with your child to what was happening in the 70s and 60s and, and early 80s. No comparison whatsoever. And therein lies the problem. And that's why, in a weird way, I do feel that some kind of legal control, if there was legal control over cannabis, I would still say this is a dangerous, deeply, deeply troublesome, um, potentially life-destroying drug, like alcohol. But if it gives the parents some element of control and knowledge over what their kids are taking in because you could get potency scores and all that kind of stuff on the drugs. That's my point about legality. My well, point... the other point about legality is, I mean, what a lot of some of the messages that have come in from young people from That's our posts chair, on Instagram were saying the thing is about, about it is that it's, because we don't need ID, it's the thing we can all get. Yeah. We can get it from 14. Yeah. We can't get fags, we can't get booze, yeah. and and you need ID for it. All we need to do is knock on the door of, or make a phone call. Yeah. And also, I've had quite a few people saying, um, oh, yeah, just on the walk, on the way to school, people will come up. If you look like somebody that might like it, somebody... So it's incredibly accessible. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, but that's the other side of mm. the illegality of it that, for me, is a, is, a, is a major, major problem. So we've established what I think about cannabis. It's also why I think parents doing it... I, I, I would be so... I don't care what shit I get. It's a total dereliction of duty to sit and smoke a spliff with your kids. It's the worst... Thing you can do in a way that drinking alcohol I would advise against it but you're in control of it it's the worst thing you can do because you're sanctioning and you are okay, you're sort of making okay something that's not only you don't know what they're going to get but here's the other part of it and I have a really salutary story here that, that, that is a cautionary tale as a family we know someone who started very benevolently smoking spliff they moved over a very long period of time. We're talking about over a period of 25, 30, 40 years. They slowly graduated to stronger drugs. They started to very low-key deal those drugs, sell them amongst friends, and then they started to sell more and more stuff, and then they started to get harder drugs. It ended up with this person ending up with um, a, a heroin habit, uh, their partner dying from that heroin habit, and they started out as those absolutely benevolent, roller gentle spliff, ha, 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 let's eat some jam tart. That was them, and, and that's what they became. One dead, and the other one severely ill. And so, you know, that sort of narrative arc, that's the kind of, that's a slow motion crash that, you know, yes, yeah, some people can go that slow motion with alcohol, but generally not, you don't get there. But, you know, that's the extent to which this this low-key low key drug, and the, the reason for, the reason why, again, it's an absolute dereliction of duty to smoke drugs with your kids is because there is no legal place for them to then go and get it if they've enjoyed it and you've, you've opened this little, the pearly gates of joy for them, where are they going to go? And that's my next point. Accessing the drugs is a whole other ball game. You don't know who you're coming into contact with, those people who are selling you those drugs are always looking for more money and upping the ante and getting you to the next drugs. And so this idea of a gateway drug isn't just peddled by conservatives. 
It's a fact. Mm. And the only people who always want to deny this are free love hippie types sitting in their sandals at the back of a sort of, you know, hut, smoking the biggest reefer going, it's not a problem, it's not a problem, man. No, it's not a problem for you right now, but it will be for all of us with you in 20 years' time. Most people who end up smoking spliff are supplying it even at a low level to friends and other people. Mm. Most people. It's a fact. I think it's a really good point that to say, you know, it's not just a an extreme Tory opinion. No, it's right not. Winger. It is a gateway because it's also a gateway to spending a lot of your time just hanging out, not doing much else. It's a <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I'm going to be candid. It's one of the reasons it was never a drug for me. I, I, what, why would I want something that slows me down and makes me sink into a mm. corner with bleary eyes looking like an absolute mm. piece of shit smelling awful? I think it's important to think about now the listener, the parent that has no knowledge, who's yeah. never been around anyone with a spliff, that yeah. has no idea what to do or how to tackle it. I mean, somebody um, approached us yesterday on Instagram, didn't they? They said that they found it yet, just yet, just last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. In their stepson's bedroom, and they're terrified. Yeah. I would say, first of all, try not to be terrified. I think because when we're and just to to bring it down and just be calm. It's a really, really terrifying thing. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> because if he's got it in his room. He's already smoking it. If he's already smoking it, he's already doing that with his friends. He's already got the peer pressure. How yeah. do you then pull them away from their peer pressure, that peer pressure? It's a very, very difficult I mean, I, 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 I literally don't don't know what to do. And I mean, no. all I've done, what, what are the practical steps? What have I done with all my girls? I mean, with Izzy and Fleur and with Maddie and with Kiki, all I would say is, is don't buy into the myth sold to you often by someone wanting you to smoke it. They have a vested interest in telling you it's good because mm. they're doing it. So don't buy into that. But that's all, all you can say. All you can say is, I mean, is that it can cause, yeah. it causes extraordinary psychosis. It can do. It Not can. everyone has no, a psychotic no, no, no. experience but from it. But everyone it gets do. the paras. Mm. It does something to, to your all brain. of us. One of the, it's like, you know, it's like pretending that cocaine doesn't universally make you do things faster. It does. I think what we've done with our kids is we've had this dialogue going with them since they were absolutely tiny. This conversation. Well, we didn't have a been... spliff conversation when they were three. No, no, but it's been a conversation <laughs> no, know, that we wouldn't have hidden from them. No, so, not at all. So, say we've seen something upsetting has happened, maybe to somebody we know, or we see something in the newspapers, or we would talk openly yeah. about that in front of them. So it's not a hidden away discussion. Heard, yeah. Because you do not know when your child is first... You cannot put your child in a bubble. They're going to hear these conversations going on around them. And we, our, our philosophy has been that hear that conversation at yeah. home first, an honest conversation about it. So, And we have shared with them the stories that we know of people that have lost their minds, people that have ended up... Um, in a padded cell. I mean, I know somebody that ended up in a padded cell and all they ever did was smoke hashish. I know someone... So they know those stories. Two great... Two of the greatest brains I, I ever came across in higher education ended up in institutions due to smoking spliff. Yeah. Um, and I the know, great thing about those people that we know, there wasn't any confusion with no any confusion, other drugs no confusion. or alcohol. It was, it was attributed. It was, that. it was attributed by them themselves and by the medical establishment. Mm. I, I know suicides. I know all sorts of... And here's the problem for youngsters. It is a really tough sell because... It is, no pun intended, a slow burn. 
It's a slow burn mm-hmm. cannabis. And so, of course, even within the stretch of from 14 to 20, most teenagers aren't going to see that. You do get the occasions and the situations where people have an immediate psychosis, psychotic response to it. And, 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 and have you know, unfortunately, I can think of two cases where that did happen. But, you know, by and large, let's accept it's a much slower burn. And they're going to look amongst their peer group and they're going to go, well, there's no one. But I promise you, any teenagers listening, if you know someone who is a consistent and you could say over-the-top toker, smoker, whatever. I bet you any money if you've known them for four, five, six years, the spark and the and the and the sort creativity. of the creativity and the light in their eyes, I promise you, go just go look through some selfies on your phone of them six years ago, five years, four years ago, and look at them now. And I bet you see half the man or woman they used to be. Who's that very famous rock star, I can't think of it who it is now, who says, actually, I think it's a lyric, um, drugs show you your creativity and then they, they snatch take it, it away. away. From you. That's a very good question. And, that, yeah. and, that's, and I'm really mindful. It's like, I don't want to lose any young person that's listening no. to this now and go, oh, this is all. Just ask yourself this. Do you feel anxious? Do you feel depressed? Do you ever feel paranoid? Do you find it harder and harder to go out of the house? Do you have a million reasons why you can't do something? Do you feel tired a lot of the time? Do you feel lethargic? It's not just about the world and all the horrors that are going on in the world, because I understand that that's how it feels. I understand that these are incredibly difficult times. You know, the state of our planet, COVID-19, you know, the stress of exams, parents are driving you crazy. But if you're also smoking spliff, that is a part of why you are feeling anxious, depressed, dark, unable to face the world. It's not just those external things. I pray that you will hear something in what we are saying today yeah. that will chime with you. And we're not saying, oh, God, you know, right now, put that spliff down and never touch another one again. We know that that's not how it works. Yeah. But what we're saying is let a little seed be planted in your head, pun excuse me, where you might start thinking about this, where somewhere mm. down the line you might go, do you know what? I remember that conversation. I can I can feel some of something of what they've been talking about is going on inside of me and possibly maybe, maybe it's got something to do with me smoking this weed. And I think this is a really good point. I want to, I really want to read this, Mark, because this is one of our regular followers that sent sent us this this morning. And I just think it's, it's I just think it's, it, it chimes so much with what we're saying now. They want to be anonymous. And right? they want to be anonymous. Yeah. So she says, I worry that because a lot of people see Spliff as a lesser of two, two evils, Um, in terms of drugs, i.e. smoking weed isn't as bad as injecting heroin, that people are more likely to be in denial of their addiction. I've been a smoker for a few years. I'm 18 and don't plan on being a smoker for the rest of my life by any means. I started at 15 and it was a way of rebelling, inadvertently self-harming and pacifying my thoughts for that brief five or ten minutes. It was like my compromise for not self-harming in other ways. But I've come a long way since then and no longer smoke because I want to harm myself. But I'm now finding myself in a position where I'm almost reminded of the demons I tried to silence in the first place every time I do smoke. 
It truly wasn't until I started watching your channel in December that I even started questioning my relationship with weed and stroke cigarettes. And Mark's talks on addiction and self-loathing really opened my eyes. Sorry, that makes me emotional. Because I know how brave it is of you to talk like that, the way that you do, Martin, to set yourself up for people to make all kinds of decisions about you. Mm. But, you know, to hear that a young person is affected by what you share and is mm. thinking about what she's done, I find very moving. So it really opened my eyes to how my relationship with smoking in many ways is fundamentally the same as it always was. To shut up my thoughts. Please, young listener, listen, listen to that. To that. Please. Since lockdown, I've been much more self-aware and trying to implement more self-discipline and keep promises to myself, i.e. I will have one smoke before bed or every time I crave one, set a 30-minute timer. Does this, does, is anyone that's listening feeling that this is something that they might be feeling or doing? I'm really curious to hear your discussion on your podcast Sorry for the essay of a contribution. <laughs> That's not an essay. That, no. that to me, sums it up. It sums up how it creeps up on you, Precisely. how you can think that it's soothing something that rises in you, but it's not. It's just suppressing it. It's just burying it for another time, right. day or place, and it grows. And as they say in recovery... Um, maybe I should let Mark say that, when you think that your addiction is like sated or kept quiet, it's in the background doing press-ups, mm. ready to come and bite your ass, mm. ready to come back and bring that anxiety and the fear and the self-loathing back. That's what it, that's, this is how it works. It doesn't matter what it is you take, even overeating. All these things are just delaying a feeling that is going to have to be looked at at some point. Would you agree, Mark? Um, I just want to say a couple of things about that. That was an incredibly moving thing to, to hear. Incredibly. The, the, you know, you would be forgiven for... Some people will have probably tuned out of this chat because they'll have, they'll have heard a middle-aged man saying, cannabis is this, da-da-da-da. I am coming from a position, actually, of believing cannabis should be legalised so that there is some degree of control. My feeling and the strength of my emotions about this revolving, really principally revolving around an older generation who think it's all right to promote this benevolent attitude towards a drug that is nowhere near the same drug that we were indulging in back then. And I'm gesticulating a little bit like Trump. My point is there are enough uh, influences, pressures, peer pressures on teenagers and youngsters as, as it is without adding parents into the mix, joining them for a spliff. You know, you can't say just don't do something. Everything will be done. You can't say don't have sex. You can't say, you know, all these things happen. You know, life is, that's what we are as humans. We're not totally controllable creatures. The other thing that I thought that that, that uh, letter that came in uh, really uh, highlighted, for the vast majority of people, what spliff will offer them in a different way to alcohol, and this is another reason why it's probably becoming a much bigger problem than alcohol amongst a certain age group, is that it does take away, or the feeling is, is that it takes away the edge of anxiety, worry, stress, exams, schooling. It's a way to escape. It's a way to plug that hole. It's a way to fill that gap and make yourself feel better. But I'm telling, all I'm doing now is as drug rehabilitation people do when they go into schools as addicts, ex-addicts, ex-alcoholics, it's a fool's gold. It's a false currency. The, the trade-off 
is not real. As you're sitting there benevolently smoking spliff after spliff, enjoying it, it is not doing what you want to think it is doing. It is delaying. It is, it is, it is obscuring. It is destroying you slowly. And that is a fact. And I think, you know, the reason, again, for legalization is so that those people who will not develop into a major crisis problem with it have the ability to do it without the illegality element to it. But then parents and other people can have some degree of knowledge. Now, the problem, of course, with the legality with cannabis is there will become a more illegal version of it that's even stronger. And that's all that people will be drawn to. So, you know, you can't remove... You can't ever fully remove the sense of a lack or the sense of an emptiness in people that fear, and, and they turn to whatever it is they turn to to fill that. For me, it happened to be alcohol. For, as you say, Nadia, for some it will be food. But I think the, I think there are so many barriers for youngsters to kind of to get past. To, you know, well, I can't, I can't I even begin that... to imagine being a teenager now who doesn't smoke. When I think back to when I was a teenager with all the worries and low self-esteem and insecurities and wanting to be an extrovert, but kind of feeling an introvert as well. And I would use alcohol. I would use alcohol to get me through the door, to get me up, to get me functioning, to get me fun, to get mm. me. And so I understand it. We under, we under, we do understand because we've had that wild past and we understand that there is a certain right of passage to make these mistakes yourself. But just hear us that we, we have also seen the tragic end result of it. I just want to ask you, Mark, with that really impassioned message that we got there, to me, what I'm really hearing is that she's really struggling to control it. Mm. And we know, don't we, from talking a lot about this, and obviously you going through rehab, that to try and control something, it rarely works. What and correct me if I'm wrong, what she has to do is go to what the feelings are mm -hmm. because to shut up, even to set a timer for 30 minutes later, it's admirable what you're doing. You are trying to reduce your amount, but you've got to face the feelings that you're trying to avoid. Mm. And maybe, maybe, I mean, a, a really good um, website actually is Frank. I think it's called Frank, isn't it, for drugs for young people, um, maybe to reach out to them. But, but I was going to say, are there any groups like there is AA and NA and all of that for weed. You were NA, NA, it's a massive problem. I mean, cannabis. So, so cannabis, you can yeah, go yeah, to absolutely. NA. Absolutely. I mean, I, oh. I, I'd be curious to know if there is one. I mean, I in the past, I went to Cocaine Anonymous. I mean, you know, there is CA. Um, I don't know, I, but I remember going to NA too, and there were countless people who were there struggling with all forms of, of spliff. Because don't forget, yeah, so, guys. So that's, no, so on a practical level, she could possibly oh, seek out. Absolutely. Uh, um, and there's a teenage one of that. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So there's a, a teenager's uh, Narcotics Anonymous, mm. and maybe go and just go to... As they say, try six sessions, yeah. try six yeah. before you decide whether it's right for you. You do, you are not obliged to speak. You don't have to say a word. You can go and you can sit there and you can listen. And how it works is listening to other people mm. sharing back their own journey and then you share back if you want to, but you don't have to. And I just wanted will, to give us some practice. Yeah, and also what will happen in a lot of those meetings is there are loads of people there who will offer themselves up as sponsors, who are people who, who will have, you know, sobriety from whatever substance it is they've been addicted to in the past, and they will be able to offer you strategies. I mean, again, the strategies available for different people are different depending on what addiction it is. I don't have close proximity to being a cannabis addict. So, you know, in terms of, 
it, you know, all addictions are hard to unlock, but the commonality, the common core of every addiction is that you are fixing an emotional problem. And yeah, the that's key, the common core. The it doesn't key, matter what you're doesn't taking. Doesn't matter what it is. The key, yeah. at, the key at, the, at the very heart of, of overcoming addiction is facing that fear. fear or that problem or that emotional dilemma and it can sometimes be a trauma and there are huge countless numbers of different types of therapies cbt all sorts mm. of things and 12-step recovery groups and, and drugs also counselors. it can be as simple as peer peer pressure and peer yeah. pressure is the most intoxicating mm. bullying thing that other so i think a lot of people sometimes won't allow themselves to say their addiction because they they feel bad that they yeah. haven't got a massive problem that led yeah. them to it or that but you know peer pressure is a real thing yeah and it's very very complex peer pressure and it's very difficult at any age but especially when you've got a you know your brain's still yeah. developing and you're young and you want to be popular and you want to be in with the in crowd yeah. to try and unravel the complexities of peer pressure uh, my god i wouldn't wish it on anyone i so, think an, an interesting fact and i can't remember where i read it but apparently you know when you often get these toxicology reports of people who and, and sometimes you know in terrible situations where people overdose or whatever they, they demonstrate um, elements like opiates and, and other types of kind of drugs in their bloodstream that lots of people go, oh, that's odd. I didn't know they were. Well, they won't have necessarily taken opiates. Opiates are cut in with a lot of resins and a lot of these drugs. The idea that you're just smoking some very benevolent leaf from a very benevolent plant that hasn't in itself. Look, I'm a gardener. And most of the most beautiful roses. I'm most, a gardener. No, but most of the most beautiful roses have been orchestrated and created genetically by countless mm. horticulturalists making it become this beautiful thing. Believe me, guys, the same thing's happening with that benevolent little plant, that little weed symbol that we all see, which is like, it's green. It's green. It's got to be okay. Bullshit. No, it doesn't. Bullshit. So here's Shall the thing. Shall we listen from, to, to Maddie? Yeah, and I really, really should, keen. because I, I don't know how I would be functioning today as a teenager not wanting to smoke. So when it comes to weed, I think it's very embedded in this generation. It's very socially accepted. I think for people my age, it's more socially accepted than alcohol. I know, you know, quite a few people that um, don't agree with drinking at all, but they, you know, smoke weed. And my opinion on weed is very, I'm very, you know, in the middle about it, I guess, because I understand why people don't agree with it and why why and their reasons to not agree with it i know that it can cause serious mental health issues i mean my parents know people that it's affected massively but then at the same time so does alcohol and my family knows many people that have been affected by alcohol I me mean, my dad's been affected by alcohol and um you know i feel like i personally think that alcohol is more dangerous than weed but if anything they're both as bad as each other um, and I don't really see why people would completely agree with alcohol and then totally disagree with weed. I feel like the only reason people really feel that way towards weed is because it's an illegal drug, and because it's legal, an illegal drug, everybody's more like, oh, my God, I'm going to make weed. Um, and because, you know, alcohol... I mean, alcohol's a drug. A lot of people don't tend to think alcohol's a drug. They just see drugs and alcohol, whereas I think alcohol's in the drug category as well. You get addicted to it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I personally feel like alcohol's so socially accepted. Um, 
I mean, it's not in my generation as much, but so socially accepted by like you know older generations, like the you know other people, um, because simply because it's legal. Uh, if it was illegal, we'd have just as many reasons to be, I don't know, scared or disagree with it as some people do with weed. Um, and yeah, but like, I mean, like I said, personally, I don't really see what uh, the why people have such a problem with weed and then don't have such a problem with alcohol. If you're going to have a problem with weed, then you should also have a problem with alcohol. I mean, alcohol kills so many people. And, um, but then again, weed can cause, you know, severe depression, suicidal thoughts. Uh, but like everything, I feel like if you've got a healthy relationship with it, then it's completely fine. It's like, you know, my parents always tell me with alcohol, you know, as long as you've got a healthy relationship with alcohol then, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. The people that drink at social events, special occasions, or, like, you know, when they're with people, all of that kind of stuff, I feel that it's the same with people that smoke weed and social occasion, social events and special occasions. There's nothing wrong with that. But I guess it's just having to find that balance and, I mean, knowing... And, and knowing when it's too much and when you're doing too much of something. But, I mean, it's the same as everything. There are people that are spend too much money there are people that go on too many holidays there are people that are addicted to sex there are people that are addicted to food you know everybody has something that they're attached to it's human nature and I don't really agree with how judgmental people are with, towards people that smoke weed to assume that somebody that smokes weed is just lazy and just um you know selfish and just da 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 I think it's unfair because nobody I mean, majority of people don't really do that when somebody drinks. It's never, you know, you go to events, it's like, what, you're not drinking? What, you're not doing it? Why wouldn't you drink? Oh, you're boring. Why wouldn't you drink? Just have a drink. Like, I think that that's shocking if you're going to be like that when it comes to alcohol and then you see somebody smoking weed, you're like, oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, maybe that's because, you know, it's so socially accepted in my generation that I just think like that and... Again, I completely understand why people don't agree with it, but I personally will never... Like, if somebody smokes weed, I'm never like, oh, my God, you smoke weed. Like, if I feel like that towards people that smoke weed, I should feel like that towards people that drink alcohol. Yeah, I mean, as well in my friendship groups, I'm not going to get specific name names. I understand why people think that it can lead to harder drugs, so what I'm saying, I I can see why people think that it's a gateway drug. And it definitely can be because I know people can get bored of the the high from smoking weed, so then they go, they end up taking harder drugs. But then you could say the exact same about alcohol. For like, for me, I think alcohol is a gateway drug because everybody drinks. I mean, not when I say that, I mean majority of people have at least had one drink in their life. So I feel like that's the major gateway drug because also from from a young age everybody drinks alcohol you know you're always seeing that which is fine family meeting up they drink you don't see families meet up and smoke weed together do you know what I mean so I feel like personally alcohol is the gateway drug everybody starts off drinking then they'll start something else no 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 no. there's always something that's going to lead to something else and there's always a starting point and I feel like to just put all of the judgment on smoking weed is is a bit unfair and to have so much prejudice against people that do smoke weed I just I don't really see what's right about it to be honest I get more shocked by how uh, okay people are with drinking too much I think um that actually surprises it surprises me a lot when people are fine with drinking 
loads and loads and loads, but like, oh my God, when it comes to weed, like, but, um, yeah, but that obviously, that that's my opinion. I'm not saying that's what everybody should feel and I'm definitely not saying to smoke weed uh, and that you should do it, but I'm just saying that I don't, I personally don't see it as being as damaging as alcohol. I also wanted to say that I feel like some people also need to understand, especially with the younger generation, I feel like some adults tend to forget what it was when they were teenagers. And when you're a teenager, like, there's a lot of confusing stuff going on and you're trying to make sense of, like, emotions and everything. And it's completely normal for teenagers to try and find something that even makes, either makes them feel really happy in the moment or numbs whatever it is they're feeling I'm not saying that it's the correct way of dealing with whatever they're dealing with I feel like what some adults need to understand and try and take themselves back to is that is normal teenager behavior you're quite I mean I can only speak from my own experience and people I know but as a teenager you're quite self-destructive and you are selfish it's normal so you will just do things that make you feel better in the moment not thinking of consequences and not thinking of how it might affect other people so I feel like some people do just forget what it feels like to be this age sometimes and how it is normal to try and find ways of numbing emotions or trying to feel like a sense of euphoria or whatever and you know every teenager has something that they do to try and make them you know feel that kind of way whether that is doing drugs drinking alcohol I don't know, self-harming. And I feel with this generation, we're very, like, uh, plugged into everything all the time because of, you know, social media and we have all that access. We're very plugged into everything all the time, all the negative stuff. And we're very plugged into how it is, to, what it's like to be a teenager and maybe sometimes fall into it, feeling the pressure to be self-destructive and... You know, and I feel like all I kind of wished more from adults was that they kind of tried to think more of when they were a teenager and how they didn't want to listen to what their parents had to say because they were selfish and just understand that that's how we are sometimes. And that young people, and I mean, it's the same for many, many older people as well, but obviously I can only speak for people my age. What I feel like a lot of people need to understand is that this age we are trying to find anything we can that kind of makes sense of all the stuff we are going through internally if that makes sense excuse the uh, quality of the sound there it's just recorded on a phone in her room um yeah lots of food for thought there i mean in many ways what you're hearing is the right to have a rites of passage you know it is a it is an age thing. It is, you know, at that age, it is where we first encounter alcohol. It is where we first encounter drugs. It's where we first encounter the ability to use some kind of substance to make ourselves feel greater or to make ourselves feel less sad or less bad or less anxious. That's so, why it's called using. That's why it's called using, absolutely. Mm. Um, and there was that lovely quote about, you know, you, you, you know, you can either use the drug or the drug can use you. Mm. Um, and uh, which was in Ozark, all about drug trafficking. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting because... No, that the actual line was, you've got pain that can use you or you can use it. Yeah, And exactly. that's, that's what's so interesting, it's the pain, isn't it? It's the pain. And she was touching on that. Well, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think you cannot, you're absolutely, she, she's absolutely right. We cannot, as parents, deny 
your teenagers and children their experience of discovering mm. what it means to feel pain. No, but we must always be there to... We, we are not going to be able to control exactly what our no. children do, but we have to lay out what we've learned yeah. and hope they can learn from um, it. And I do feel for the parents that haven't had any experience around this and how to talk to. Yeah. Because I, I'm really mindful that people will be listening to this thinking, yeah. what do I do? What yeah. can I do? Yeah. And I think you can hear there from Maddie, you know, accept that there is a certain amount of stuff that you're not going to be able to control. Yeah. We're going to be much more likely to talk to you if you accept that. Yeah. If you come at us saying... You know, we we want you to or we want you to skip twenty years and be where we are and just be accepting and 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 be able to um, intellectualize mm. everything that's going. We're not there yet. No. We're, we're we you know you're you're still in your impulsive instinctive yeah. moment. You're still in the dangerous. I mean, don't forget there is a part of the teenage brain that will seek danger because it's part of the. Oh, absolutely! It, it's actually part absolutely. of evolution. They're yeah, supposed yeah. to do it for the live for, for today, die tomorrow. Yeah, and so I think what she's saying there, she's kind of giving some advice to parents there be mindful of that obviously yeah. we understand as teens that you have to tell us and you have to tell us the dangers but be mindful of the fact that we have a right of passage just the way that you do no, absolutely and i think that goes back to all of my my incandescence and my fury is around this idea that it's a totally benevolent and benign substance and i think it was a very interesting point that she made there when you when we see you as children or drinking and doing what mm. you want oh friends come oh i'm drinking the attachment to relaxing with a substance yeah, yeah. with your friends we learn at a very young age yeah. that to socialize is to relax and some people choose to do that with spliff and yeah. some people choose to do that yeah. with alcohol yeah so all of us as parents that have that drink in front of our children um We'll have, and I'm not talking about alcoholism, I'm talking about people that behave mm. very badly. So just even the most ordinary of drinking, there is a lesson that's been learned mm. there by children, that mm. by our children, that that's how we relax. We take something. Yeah, yeah. And things get a bit more giggly and things get a bit more fun and things mm. get a bit more chilled. So, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting what she was saying there. No, I agree. I agree. And I just go back to this point. I just think there are enough temptations for teenagers and enough pressures, peer pressures for teenagers to drink and to take drugs that you can have a very free thinking, fluid, conversational relationship with your parents about these substances, about the pros, about the cons. But you don't need to sit down and actively do it because most parents who do that are just wanting to be mates. And I just think that's a really bad thing. Um, and, I, and, and I would also say that I don't think it really works if you scream and shout and totally ban them agree. from seeing friends and ban them from totally going agree. out. You, I think you're just going to hold off the problem. Mm, I mm. think it has to be good communication. It has to be support. It has to be a level of understanding. And I think to get into battle will just increase the battles. And I'd just like to stress again, when we talk about this substance, it's like whenever the conversation about cannabis or spliffs starts, it's like we know what we're talking about. It's like there's a fixed knowledge on what the substance is. No one, no one person is smoking the same thing as the next person. We don't have a common yardstick to say so like you know that a bottle of vodka has a certain percentage of strength in it you don't know what you're smoking and that's a crucial part of it which is again why i sit on the side of actually legalizing cannabis i think it drives too many unknowables and unquantifiables into a substance that we all sort of sit there with quite a sort of romantic hippie-like vision of i think it's dangerous it's more dangerous 
than we like to think it is. Should we listen to Carlitos? Absolutely. This is Carlitos. In case it's the first time listening to our podcast, Carlitos is a sixteen year the sixteen year old son of a very very close friend of mine, Lisa's, and um, yeah, we always like to hear from as we are, we are the parents of daughters. It's, yeah, great, yeah, to, it's great to listen to the boys. I don't really have an opinion on cannabis. Um, I mean, I see its benefits, but I can also see its negative impacts, like the negative impact it can have. Um, I know that it is used for medicinal purposes, which is obviously a good thing. And the CBD in it can be good for physical pain. And um, I know that it's good for people who are receiving chemotherapy or with children with extreme epilepsy. Um, And this is a good thing that it can be like prescribed around the whole world. But I know in some places it is illegal as well. Um, but to be completely honest, a few of my friends, and when I, I say a few, I do mean only a few, smoke it and I don't judge them on it. It's not my place to judge them. It doesn't bother me uh, because at the end of the day, it's their choice to do so. And that has nothing to do with me. Um, however, I will never, ever be persuaded or pressured into trying a drug or smoking a cigarette or whatever whether it's cannabis or not, um, that decision will always be my choice and I'm not looking to do anything like that at the moment. But, um, yeah, I don't have an opinion on it, to be honest. As I say, it's people's personal decisions. Like I said, I don't want to do it, so and that's my decision, that's okay. But um, the only thing I would say about it is that if you are to use it, then just be safe about it. I love the way he says, I don't have an opinion. Yeah. I mean, of course he does. And it's it's great. I bet there's parents screaming. What What is it in you that says, oh, nobody will pressure me? Good on I you. I think it's really important. He flags up something we haven't actually discussed yet mm. or, 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 or we've kind of not looked at. I think there's a huge conflation and a manipulative act when people conflate medical cannabis mm. With, it has confused kids, yeah. It? As, well, it has confused kids because, of course, there are so many. It's like, for example, every single opiates are in most painkillers, but we don't say take heroin. Mm. You know, so by the same extension, you know, um, there are medical uses for cannabis and and some mm. of the qualities of cannabis, the cannabis plant, that are incredibly useful. Mm. And the last and that thing, has given out mixed. Me- and we were great believers mi- we're huge in that believers being in used. Yeah, like, huge I feel believers. so sorry for people with children with extreme epilepsy. Yeah, I and think I've it's an interviewed outrage. a number of them, and it's an absolute outrage yeah. that this drug that actually really really helps they can't use, but it has caused mixed messages. Well, it's got mixed messages. Go, oh, it. Oh, it, oh, it's really totally, good. Oh, totally. it helps people. And it's allowed a sort of, you know, that, that sort of, that medical use for it mm. has been hijacked as a sort of... as a, a By sort dealers. Of, yeah, by dealers as a way of saying, well, actually, it's really, you know, there's elements to this that are really cool for you. And I think that's in Eve, that's what makes it an even more dangerous prospect mm. with At your child moment, smoking. At the moment, we're using alcohol in our hand sanitizers yeah. to stop us getting coronavirus, to, yeah. to, to ward off coronavirus. That doesn't mean when we consume it, it's still not doing the same no, damage absolutely. that it always did to our liver. And so I do think there's some very thing. mixed messages have come out of that that debate. And, and you know, I can see it when you get a sort of, you know, someone with a very vest, heavily vested interest in in smoking spliff using the old, oh, yeah, but CBD oil and da-da-da and all this kind of stuff. They, just to be clear, 
I think it's an absolute travesty when I've seen these stories of people who can't get their hands on these drugs that could be life-changing for their children or their yeah. own conditions. It's a travesty. Everything should be up for grabs yeah. if it's used in controlled medical ways. But interestingly, the arguments against it are that they are very worried about what it can do to the mental health of yeah, some absolutely. people. So, uh, I mean, you know, that message doesn't get through with the mixed messages. It's interesting, no, it's odd, isn't, isn't it? It? <laughs> it is really odd. Well, there we go. What an enormous Crikey. smorgasbord of, of stuff. Mm. And just to finish, when Mark says he wants it legalised, he wants it legalised because he's against it. Yeah. Before anyone makes a headline of, yeah, yeah. oh, Mark wants their pot to be no, legal. it should it's be legalised so we can control it yeah. and make sure that we are not destroying people with all sorts of bad hybrids. That's the problem here. You will, by saying don't do something, it never means someone won't do something. That's it for this episode of Confessions of a Modern Parent. If you'd like to comment on any of the topics we've discussed today, we'd love you to get in touch. Use the hashtag Confessions of a Modern Parent. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Nadia Sawala. And on Instagram, it's at Nadia Sawala and family. And if you fancy getting in touch with me, it's at Mark underscore Adderley. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review. Tell your friends and get involved. And you can hear more episodes of Confessions of a Modern Parent on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye! <laughs>